Number one goes missing on a mission to make first contact. Spock gets engaged, and Captain Pike contemplates leaving Starfleet. All this and more coming up on Energize. 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 I'm Anthony McLemore, and we're boldly going into the uncharted regions of the Star Trek universe before Captain Kirk. You're listening to Energize, a Star Trek Strange New Worlds podcast, your source for in-depth analysis, colorful debate, and exciting discussions about the new adventures of Captain Pike and the Enterprise crew. Let's get started with a quick recap of this week's show. In this episode titled Strange New Worlds, we see a scruffy Captain Pike at a secluded ranch in Montana. Struggling with the tragic future of radiation disfigurement and pain that awaits him, Pike is unsure he'll return to the Enterprise and is refusing to answer communications from Starfleet. Reluctantly, he returns to command when the Admiral informs him that his first officer, Una, aka Number One, has gone missing while attempting to make first contact with the inhabitants of Kylie 279, who have apparently achieved warp travel capabilities. Upon their arrival, the Enterprise is attacked with primitive weapons from the planet's surface, tipping them off that the inhabitants of Kylie 279 haven't achieved warp capabilities for travel, but have developed them for weapons instead. Pike leads a landing party to the planet's surface and rescues number one. She reveals that the inhabitants of Kylie 279 witnessed Discovery being transported to the 32nd century and reverse-engineered warp capabilities. Pike and Spock allow themselves to be captured in order to meet with the planet's leadership and convince them to cease their worldwide conflict and seek exploration. As Pike's efforts are rejected, he orders the Enterprise into lower orbit so that everyone can see it prompting the warring factions to negotiate a peace agreement. To ensure their success, and to truly understand what's at stake, Pike recounts Earth's tumultuous history that almost wiped the planet out. He issues a challenge to the inhabitants of Kali 279 not to make the same mistakes and join the Federation. So beaming in is my good friend and Star Trek aficionado, Steve Truitt. Welcome to Energize. How are you? Uh, great. How are you doing, Anthony? Yeah, pretty good, pretty good. Now, the one great thing that I just found out about Steve that I didn't know about my, myself was that not only is Steve a Star Trek aficionado, but he has actually been on one of the shows and has met like a ton of the cast members, except for this one, of course. Exactly. So I, I've been a fan since I was a little kid. Uh, when I was hosting around the time you and I were hosting you know, on TV, uh, Ron Serma was the casting director for Enterprise with Scott Bakula. And I wrote him a letter, I think, every month for seven years, first round Voyager, and then on Enterprise, every month I wrote him saying, please let me have one line. And finally, in the second season of Enterprise, he called me and he goes, okay, fine, fine, just come in. And I had one line on Enterprise. But I have met um, Shatner and some cast members from every series except this one. Wow. I have only met Shatner and Nimoy. I got that. I got a chance to do that. Uh, yeah, I got a chance That's to do that good. back in 1998 at uh, the cable convention in mm. um, in Atlanta. And I, I was just giddy. It's one mm. of those memories that, you know, it's one of those things that you'll never forget. But let's talk strange new worlds. Overall, I thought it was really good. I think that it's hard in this day and age with with Paramount 
pushing out so much content with Discovery and Picard and Strange New Worlds and Prodigy um, and the show about the Cerritos, yeah, which, the, the cartoon show, which I love, and Lower Decks, which I just love. Um, to do it right is hard because there's so much to do and it's such a high bar. I was very impressed with what they're doing here. And I, and I will say this, I don't normally like prequels. Uh, so the, I had to kind of meter that out as I watched this and I was just, I was really, impressed. well, for me, I was really excited because we, uh, strange new worlds basically got a backdoor pilot in season two of discovery. Uh, when we got a chance to see Anson Mount yep, play sure Christopher Pike, um, and his, yep. his, uh, portrayal of, of Pike was just, you know, phenomenal. And he earned he earned his own series. Um, and I agree. Go ahead. I, yeah. I, I mean, you look at the history, right? Jeff, Jeffrey, uh, Jeremy Hunter uh, was in the original pilot, The Cage. He had, you know, 10 minutes. Then Bruce Greenwood comes in and does it in the 2009 Star Trek and sets a whole new tone for Pike because Pike just wasn't talked about for years and years and years and years. And suddenly, not only is he back, but you know, I think Anson Mount owes, owes a little bit to Bruce Greenwood, who I think really brought a great character. Oh, exactly! He brought the character to uh, life, and, and, and he crushed. It. Yep, he sure did. And Anson Mount just took it even further. I think he's the best Pike. I, I love oh yes, him. I and so great. I was completely excited at the end of uh, Discovery season two. I mean, the first thing that came out of my mouth was, yeah. "Wow." Uh, you know, Christopher Pike needs his own show. You know, there needs to be a series about the adventures of the Enterprise prior to Captain Kirk. And then I started reading and everybody was saying the same exact thing and Paramount answered the call. And yeah. so I'm very, very pleased that they did that. Me too. I, I, I think it was inevitable, as you pointed out quite correctly, because of Anson Mount's portrayal um, and, and because they teased... They brought back a very important part of the canon, which is he died, or he doesn't die. He gets horribly disfigured. And they mention that in the Discovery uh, season two finale. They show that he sees that. And to bring that out in this uh, opening episode, I think is the best thing they could have done because it immediately sets up his drama and his angst throughout the whole series. Oh, I yeah. Think it's gonna be and um, the thing about it is, you know, None of us, I mean, few of us get the opportunity to know what's coming ahead. I mean, I mean, yes, people get diagnosis mm -hmm. and things like that, but not a long-term projection, not like, you know, 10 years from now, this is going to happen and you know exactly how it's going to happen. Mm -hmm. For him, for this character to have to carry that, well, how, you know, the, the question comes, how am I going to live my life? You know what it reminded me of a little bit is if you remember the pilot of Six Feet Under, the main character... Uh, un realizes that in the first pilot episode that he's going to die. He's got a congenital defect that eventually will kill him. And you think about that every episode of every season as, as that clock ticks down and you know the inevitability. And I think that's what makes this series is what is going to make this series it's just that extra added element that just makes it so much more compelling. They just, I just thought that was Ab brilliant. That absolutely, absolutely. Brilliant. So why don't we just start right from the top of the show? We see Captain Pike, and we've just, you know, just had a whole conversation, a whole discussion about Captain Pike and what he's carrying. Right. 
And you see that manifested in the fact that he's basically kind of uh, become a bit of a, re- a recluse. He's grown a beard out. He's in my, in rural Montana. Yep. And uh, Starfleet's been trying to call him, and he's not answering the call. You know what I like about that, too, is that there's a lot of stuff in here that's so iconic, but not necessarily always Star Trek iconic. It's the, that was a long time ago. Come on, we need you back. I'm not in the game anymore. It's 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 the convincing of getting the, the expert back. But to have it here, it makes sense because they pick up right after, or I guess a little time after, Discovery, and I love the fact that they keep reminding us of why he's such a recluse, of what happened with Discovery, the devastation. They lost an admiral in that fight. Um, he, he had to send a, a Federation ship into the future, into the unknown. I'm so glad they tied that in. I and I think the good. rub is, is that he can't even talk about it. It is the, everybody, every, yeah, it's, right. it's classified. classified. That's and, classified. And, and That's everyone's classified. sworn to secrecy. So not only is he carrying this huge secret yep. about what took place out there and uh, the fate of discovery, but he's also carrying his own mortality at the same time. And uh, you know what else I like too, is that, you know, number one, um, Rebecca Romaine, she's not there yet. They've got to go get her. And again, in a way that's kind of shades of, of Star Trek next generation pilot mission at Farpoint, right? They got to go get Riker. He's off at another planet. And, I just I really like the way they folded in these things. I just thought it was really And then well even when the Admiral mentions that it's his first officer, that it's number one, he still doesn't want to answer the call. No. But he's basically forced yeah. to anyway. You see that theme in so many of Star Trek canon. You're an officer of Starfleet. Your mission is to is bigger than you. And we see that in Kirk and in Picard and and Janeway and, and everybody. Oh, absolutely. The very next scene I thought was something that was just completely new and fresh and different. We go to we go to Vulcan and we see that Spock is on a mm-hmm. date. <laughs> it's yes, it's the, the date. date. <laughs> you know, I I, re, I was sitting there with my wife, and as soon as she, you know, I I'm sure your audience has already heard this or seen this, but. She asks him to get married, and he says, "I, you know, I was waiting for you to ask." I love the reversal, and I looked at my wife like, you know, hey, why didn't you ask me? You know, they're doing it right on Vulcan. <laughs> Vulcan sexuality is not something that you know we've normally seen. We've just gotten a we, taste of it on a little bit in the JJ, yeah, in the in the in the Kelvin universe, right? With right. JJ Abrams. May I mention the ship for a second? Yes. So. I have been a fan since I was a baby. I was born in 1966, the same year that Star Trek came out. I've been watching it my whole life. This Enterprise, to me, is the best Enterprise, even better than the original series. I loved Enterprise A in the movies, but by far, I believe that this is... And the Enterprise is as much a character as Kirk and Pike and Picard and everybody else, right? Oh, absolutely. It's the 12th man, right? Um, I just find this to be the the best version of the Enterprise I've ever seen. I don't know about you. I think it embodies the best of the original series with a modern with a modern touch. It still maintains the color scheme, but not the loud yep. the loudest parts of that color scheme. It's it's toned down, but it keeps the spirit of what was, um, but points towards what where we are now. And I and I appreciate I think, that. I think you're right, and I think. 
It really does. I mean, they have the old communicators and the old tricorders, not the new ones. Um, we haven't seen phasers really yet. Uh, but even on the bridge, Uhura and all the other team, they're using buttons, not keypads uh, or not touchscreens. And I just, I, I think that's fantastic. Oh, yeah, absolutely. When Pike hits the bridge, we get a chance to meet some of the bridge crew and mm -hmm. some familiar faces, some new faces. So now we get a chance to see Uhura. Yeah. And um, it's, it's nice to see um, Uhura as a giddy cadet. She is giddy, and I love that. We haven't even seen her full talents yet, right? And I'm really looking forward to seeing what she does. But there she is, right there in the chair. It is a little strange not to have Kirk in the seat, but you know, we obviously don't have Chekhov, and we don't have Sulu, so it's cool to have her there as a cadet. I think that was a smart move. Having her there, having uh, Uhura as a young cadet, I know somehow, some way, makes me feel young again. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I think that's a, the great way, a great way to put it is, as I, as I mentioned in the beginning, I'm not a fan of prequels, but somehow this just doesn't feel that way. This feels like a fresh start. It's a, it's a rebirth. And I think they could take this a long way. They do three years of Pike. They, they're going to introduce Kirk eventually. This could go a really long way. Oh, absolutely. So then we meet, and I have a hard time pronouncing her name, but I, uh, the character name, but I think it is uh, Lian Noon Singh. Noonien Singh. Yeah, Noonien. Noonien Singh. Singh. And there's something to that name because Noonien Singh is the last Khan. name of Khan. So yeah, I'll be interested right. to see what the relationship, how this plays out and what the relationship will be down the line. There's something to that. But she is the chief security officer. And in this episode, she is acting second officer or first officer, rather. First officer, right. Number yeah. one. She's the, she's, she's, yeah, right. Acting number one. You know, I think this is 200 years after Khan was put in, put on ice. Correct. And so she is probably, uh, I'm assuming, a legacy uh, ancestor. And or a Khan's ancestor. And, you know, just like the Klingons, there's forgiveness in the future and people are brought on board because, you know, everyone's involved. But I love that she is brilliant and aggressive because that's Khan. Khan was brilliant and aggressive. I think she's going to be a wild card. I think she's going to really give Pike a hard time in the season. I think there's going to be some tension there. And, and <laughs> along with Pike's past and all the things he's going through, to add that tension... I think they're they're laying the groundwork right now for really good drama. I think they've just done it right. I really do with this with this character. And we also meet Melissa Navia. I think she's the navigator. I think she would be who uh, Sulu is. Sulu was that's right. Yeah, that's right. she's a navigator. Or Sulu would become. Yeah, so that's <laughs> yeah. right. You're exactly. right. You're right. And it's it's really hard to keep track of where I am in space and time. But uh, we meet her. We meet her <laughs> yeah. as well. So just as Enterprise is getting ready to leave. Uh, Captain Pike gets paralyzed again by his visions mm -hmm. of his future self in front of the bridge crew. Like you said before, I, I really do like this because it's just something that is just haunting him and yeah. he and he has self-doubt. And you can see that Spock picks up on this because Spock yeah. is the only one that knows that something is up. And then um, as they're traveling to Kylie 279, um, mm -hmm. Spock goes to the ready goes to his ready room and yeah. really has a deep uh, intellectual conversation with him about 
what he's feeling. Pike may never tell anybody this, and I find it interesting that it's Spock is the one that intuits this, but there's his human side, right? There's his half-human side. And he suddenly, be, it's, it's interesting to me because Spock is there in that moment and he says, look, all you need to worry about is the fact that you're the captain. And he's like, you're right. That's who I am. And it kind of sets him straight. So Spock gives him a good pep talk. And I, I love the words that he that Spock left Pike with. He said, you must seek out the good in knowing your own death. And he said, use yeah. it to be the man you most essentially are. And he said, what is that? Yeah. And he said, the captain. And I thought that the was captain. really profound. And what was really great was in that moment, I actually thought that I was seeing Leonard Nimoy's version of Spock in that moment. You know, it's funny you say that because I I saw both Nimoy and Ethan Peck quite separately. And I will agree with you in that moment when he's cons- consulting, is that the word? You know, I almost expected him to call him Chris, you know, like, like Nimoy would call Shatner Jim, you know. Right. Um, there he was being the consultant. And then there were other moments where it was purely Ethan Peck. There was no Nimoy. There was no um, Zachary. Yeah, there's there's no Zach Kinto. Yeah, um, and I like that he's bringing his own Spock to this. I at first I was really not sure. I I, I I'm not a huge fan of different people playing different characters. There's a lot of Batman's. There's a lot of James Bonds. I didn't want there to be a lot of Kirks and Spocks. But this I don't know. I like this guy. I like what he's doing. Well, what I heard was he did a lot of research. He did a lot of research. And I respect that because you want to you want to respect the iconic role and you don't want to mm-hmm. take it in a direction that would upset, you know, that would upset canon, that would upset, yeah. um, that would undermine the, the character as we know it. But you also want to put your own stamp on it. And so um, I think I think he's so far, I mean, I think he's respecting the role, but I can like like you said, I can also see, you know, you know, Ethan Peck in it too, but I think you're able to see Ethan Peck because there are areas of of Spock that we have not seen, that we areas of Spock that we haven't explored, and that took place in Discovery season two. So there was room right. for right. Ethan Peck's version of Spock to bleed through while still preserving the Leonard Nimoy prime version of Spock. There he was, Ethan Peck in Discovery season two, you know, leading Discovery on a chase. As he navigated his own mind, his own semi-insanity, and his search for this truth that he was looking for, it was an incredible depth to the character. And then I thought, well, how are they, are they really going to introduce him as the new Spock? And then I watched this episode, and I'm like, yeah, they are. And they nailed it. So we get to Kylie 279. We come up on the Archer, a tip of the hat to Captain Archer from Enterprise. I love that. Yeah, that was really, really great. Oh, and- by the way, by the way, did you catch that the name of the shuttle was the Stamets, ah. who was named after the engineer on Discovery? No, did I did not one? catch that. I did not catch that. I completely oh. missed it. Yeah, I missed that one. Okay. I missed that one. So we see that the Archer is completely empty. We find out that mm-hmm. uh, the ship only had three people on it. It was yep. Una and a couple of astrophysicists. And so their whole point was to go down and find out how this civilization uh, achieved um, warp speed travel. But it's all weird. We're reading the signatures and it's, it's something's not adding up. And lo and behold, Lieutenant Singh 
uh, sounds the alarm bell. Yep. Because here, here's the thing. It, and she explains this later with her character. She's the one who survived the, the, the torturous nightmare on her planet. And, and this is one of the things I love about Star Trek is there's always a character that has been the sole survivor of some devastation and they've lived through it and been able to bring not wisdom and kindness, but caution. And that's the balance that Star Trek brings. I love that. And so there she is saying, no, 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 raise the deflectors, get the shields up. This isn't right, but it was smart that they did that because then from the planet they launched three silly little rockets plasma torpedoes <laughs> yeah yeah 21st exactly. century te- 21st century tech and uh with the low tech torpedoes that that that's the final puzzle piece that basically establishes the fact that they are not capable of faster than light travel but they don't they, use they, the warp uh, technology for for travel they use it for a weapon weaponry yeah and so they got these two warring factions on the planet and this is what they use it for now it's time to go down on the planet but before we can do that we actually have to get disguises and so since we live in the 24th century 23rd is 23rd, this that's right yeah. yeah and since we live in the 23rd century we can actually manipulate our genome so we have to go down to the the, the medical bay and we meet the medical staff for the first time dr Mbega and nurse chapel what I love about, I'm going to start with Chapel, and I want to go back to the Dr. Mbega, is Nurse Chapel has been also a staple character throughout canon. Even in the Kelvin timeline, she's mentioned in Star Trek uh, Into Darkness when Carol Marcus you know, uh, mentions her, and Kirk says, oh, how's she doing? And she says, well, she's doing much better now that she you know, transferred. <laughs> which implies that, you know, Kirk just ran a ragged. Um, but here, you know, and we saw her a little bit in the original series in the 60s, but here she is, a very different, goofy, silly, um, outgoing, eclectic person that I think would give Kirk or Pike or anybody a run for their money. I just love what they did with her character. Yes, and I, I just like the fact that we're exploring different characters, which actually brings new life to the show itself. So um, right. I, I just thought that was great. Now we have Dr. Mbega, and there was a Dr. Mbega in the original series. Tell me about that. I did not know that. Do you remember there was an episode one time where um, Spock was ill, and I cannot think of the name of the episode, and there was this African-American doctor who was like slapping him left and right. Oh, yeah. I t- <laughs> That was Dr. Mbega. I do remember that. But he wasn't chief medical officer. No, no, no. He wasn't. He wasn't. He wasn't. He was a doctor, but he wasn't. He was under uh, bones. And so uh, Dr. McCoy. And so he's slapping him and Dr. McCoy's like, stop it. Stop it. Oh, my God. I do remember that. That was Dr. Mbega. Oh, my God. Well, see, I thought I knew everything. I've learned something. Shame on me. That's fantastic. They're exploring, you know, yet another character. And it makes sense because they were all there before TOS. And so let's get to know them. It's perfect. I love it. They just do a great job. So with their disguises, Captain Pike, Spock, and Lieutenant Singh get down to the planet. They eventually work their way into the detention facility, and they actually rescue Una and the other two people. I love that her name is Una, by the way, because that's one. (laughs) (laughs) 
yeah. she's number one. <laughs> she's number one, and she's number one. Yeah, I think this this may be where I had a small problem with the script. It was almost too easy to get down there. Uh, I know that Spock's ears started to fluctuate. I know that I thought that was a good point to have him kind of phase in and out of his transformation. But if they're a country at war or they're a civilization at war, it seemed to me that there wasn't enough security for those prisoners. You would think that they would be highly guarded. So that was one point where I just didn't buy it. Yeah, but I guess that's the challenge of having episodic TV now. I think it's going to be really hard for the writers to overcome what we used to joke about all the time. Whereas there's a problem, and in the last two seconds of the show, somebody says, if I just yeah. stick this Transforce Inducer in here, and then everything is <laughs> you know, That's right. Yeah. 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 And I, I really hope they avoid those kinds of things is that they really work with the script so that it doesn't seem like all of a sudden you make a hairpin right turn and everything is, everything is solved. So the captain rescues number one, and we find out that the inhabitants of Kylie 279 basically got all the technology to build their warp bombs from Starfleet. Isn't that funny? Yeah, it's, it's, it's ironic. It happened because of sending Discovery into the future, and hundreds of ships and their warp, warp signatures were able to be seen because it was only one light year from the planet. And they were able right. to reverse engineer the tech and build the bombs. So basically... They caused it. So how do you solve it? Do you intervene? Do you not? And so that's the question. Right. We're left at this crossroads of um, protocol. And General Order 1, which was invented during Enterprise and refined into the Prime Directive in the original series, has always been taken seriously, um, with the exception of Star Trek Into Darkness, where Kirk messes around with the volcano. Uh, right. But... But there's your see. The, the, any writer will tell you that drama is decision, and for Pike to have to stand there and go, "Do we stay out of this, or do we intervene because we caused this problem?" And for a culture to see, it's almost like a kid watching their parents fight, and they learn how to fight from that. It's the same thing. Discovery goes off in the future. The warp signature gets retrieved by the people of. Kylie 279, they develop it into a bomb because they're at war. Everything that could go wrong goes wrong. And Pike says, you know what? I have an opportunity to either leave and let them figure it out themselves, which is general order one, or do we, do we define what the prime directive really is? And it's at that nexus, that moment, where I think Pike says, enough of my impending death I've got a job to do. And I love what he does. Exactly. And if I could break it down to its simplest form, you break it, you buy it. And Starfleet broke it. And I think that uh, Pike made the right move. I mean, that's what that's, I think that that's the honorable thing to do. I think pulling up and acting like we didn't have any influence over this, over that culture would have been the wrong move and wouldn't have been moral. And, and that's what general order one is, is just stay out of the way. And, I think this is what I love about when they shift it to the prime directive, which by the way, Pike says he doesn't like, <laughs> I don't like that term, <laughs> um, but it shifts because it's, it, because it changes to, we're going to stay out of influence as well as contact. It, general order one is no contact until they're ready. 
prime directive is no influence, no nothing. And I think that that's a great transformation. And I, again, I'll just say the script here in this pilot episode solves so many problems, answers so many questions, and fills so many gaps that it's it's just such a satisfying it's not even the end. It's just the beginning, and I feel satisfied. It's really, really remarkable. Yeah. So as we get closer to the end of the episode, Pike and, and Spock decide to uh, make the decision to get captured, and they end up talking to the leadership of the faction that actually has the bomb and uh, try to convince them to put their focus on exploration, which they basically refuse. So Pike raises the game one by actually bringing his ship into low orbit so that everybody sees it. I love that. It does a lot of things. One, it creates a first contact scenario that influences not only one side, but the other side. So both sides see the same thing, which is unifying. But it also says to me, as a fan, here's the Enterprise. Ladies and gentlemen, the Enterprise. It's real. It's here. It has a mission. And I think it's an incredible introduction. As I said in the beginning, I think the Enterprise is as important a character as Pike, as Kirk, Spock, and everybody else. And to have that beautiful ship, which is just beautiful, in proximity to everyone's view, I think was just an incredible moment. Exactly. And I think it was a stroke of genius because, let's be honest, um, with everything that goes on in our world, if a ship were to appear today, <laughs> war would be obsolete because we would be like, what mm-hmm. are we doing? We're all human. Right. We would all instantly become human if an you alien and you look appeared up. today and we looked up versus don't look up. <laughs> like the movie. Which is ironic because the movie was don't look up. So <laughs> Exactly. There, there may be 30% of the people who never look up, but 70% of us would, would, would do so. And- Exactly. But that's the thing about Star Trek that's different from all of us. It's, it taught, if you, and, and Pike said this too, if you could define the mission, it's one word, possibilities. And they're always saying, okay, yeah, we're always going to fight. We're always going to disagree. But look up. Let's look to the future. Let's look at what's possible. Then we can have a conversation that really takes us somewhere. And I think this show and this episode certainly does that. And then uh, Pike's final masterful stroke was to basically jump in the middle of the peace negotiations, which were seemingly not going well, and basically show Earth's history and what what happened on Earth. And in in this particular timeline, it it was uh, the uh, Second American Civil War, uh, the Eugenics Wars, and World War III, and how Earth almost destroyed itself, knocked off 30% of its population. And, and Pike was just, you know, basically told the inhabitants of Kylie 279 that they were on the same path. Why go through this? And he does it in such a cavalier way that it works. He says, look, I- I'm just showing you. You're going to do what you're going to do. It's your choice. Fight or not. I'm still going to be fine. I'm going to go home. I'm going to have a steak. <laughs> I'm going to be okay. Right? You guys do what you got to do. But look at this. Because this is real. And he starts that conversation with the very appropriate premise of, we're not that much different than you are. And you're not that much different than we are. 
were very similar. And let me show you. I found it interesting that he shows literally the attack on the Capitol. That is the progenitor to World War III. Exactly. Um, exactly. It was very, we're going it was very through relevant. that now. We're going through it now, and it made it extremely relevant because I think that's a fear that a lot of us have right here, right now. Star Trek, the original series did that. When, when they were using examples, they used examples of real time. Next Generation did that during the Cold War. Their Enterprise did it during the Gulf War. It, it, Star Trek has always been a mirror to our own lives. And I just, you know, if, if, if I could go to bed tonight and wake up tomorrow and have one wish, it's that everybody gets that message. You know, Absolutely. The message of Star Trek, which is there's something better if you reach for it. And all you have to do is reach for it. And it's right there. Moving on, let's quickly talk about the strengths and weaknesses of this episode. Um, I personally mm-hmm. have, I, I just think this was just completely strong from, from top to bottom. Um, minus the, the one thing that you said about the fact that they worked their way through the detention facility so quickly. Um, yeah. I, I will give that forgiveness simply because I know that it's an hour, <laughs> this is an episodic show and right. we can't add 10 layers onto it because that would have taken up another 10 minutes of the show, which they probably did not have or were budgeted it for. And there they are again, taking the example of the original series and the next generation and saying, we're not only doing a phenomenal prequel, but we're taking it back to formula. We're going to give you a week by week story, a story every week that is compelling and wraps itself up. And you know what? That's where we all started. I'm happy to go back there. I think they're doing great. Uh, any weaknesses outside of that? I think they need to be careful, and I always worry about this with Star Trek, is front-loading stuff too early. The Sam Kirk character who jumps in at the end, I don't know who that is. I know it's not James Kirk, but I don't want them to... I, I need them to be careful about throwing stuff in too early. The show's great. They've got a built-in fan base. They don't need to give it all in the beginning. Let, build stories. Let the season you know, play itself out. Let's see Kirk in season two or three, maybe, because it is three years of Pike before Kirk even joins. So I always want folks to build. This is something Christopher Nolan does very well. When he made Batman Begins, he didn't put the Joker in the first episode, he put in the second one. And I, I think, you know, he built the character first, he built the world first, and then he put in the real, you know, compelling stuff. So I hope they do that with this. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm 100% with you. But, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see how it plays out. So in episode two, we'll meet the engineer who is a subspecies Andorian, and he's blind. Okay. He's a blind He's engineer. blind? Yes, he's blind. <laughs> oh, oh my god how do you know this i didn't even pick up on it. oh i've read up i've read up i've read up and this guy is oh you're blind. so good he is blind that's oh, that's see, the see, again but look at that this is what they're doing everything goes back to something else jordy was blind right jordy was the engineer on on next generation they're just they're paying homage to everything and i just love what they're doing 
All right, let's do a quick okay. character insight on your breakout performances. Captain Pike. Okay. Anson Mount. How did he do? Phenomenal. Best Pike ever. Builds on Bruce Greenwood. It pays homage to Jeffrey Hunter. I think he's amazing. Spock, Ethan Peck. I'd like to see him grow a little more. I'd like to see him slow down with his verbiage. Sometimes it's hard to hear what he's saying, but I really like what he's doing. And I love the fact that we got a chance to see a little Spock romance, and it just it's just a different take, and it, and it opens up the Spock character even more. So I think there's there's definitely more to see about Spock than we've ever ever seen before. So he's not just one dimensional. Um, I agree. Oh yeah. I think there's room to grow there. Number one, Rebecca Romaine. Lover reminds me of Majel Barrett, who was the original number one. Almost looks like her. I, I, I nothing. She's perfect. Oh, when she came on the scene in, in Discovery, I didn't even realize it was her. I just kept staring at her. I was like, <laughs> I mean, literally, I kept staring at her because I, I knew she was somebody I should know, but I just couldn't piece it together. And then when I finally looked at the credits, I was like, oh my goodness, it's her. It was the being a brunette. I've never seen her as a brunette, and so it just completely threw me. Me either. And here's another thing, her husband, Jerry O'Connell, is on Lower Decks. So this is the first husband and wife team since, or the first couple team since Gene Roddenberry and Major Barrett. Oh yeah, oh yeah. All right, La Noon Singh, Noonien Singh, Christina Chong. I like her, I think, I think they need to give her her own episode so we can find out who she is, but Let's see how she goes. She's a little one-dimensional so far, but I think she's got some room to grow. I'm looking forward to seeing a flashback so we can see what she's referring to uh, because she came from something really hellish and I, there's a much, much deeper story that, that defines who she is. And I, I've always thought that, you know, I've always said that, you know, in, in a limited series, episode seven is where you get that flashback. So it's either going to be Pike or her. Oh yeah. All right. Our, one of our oldies, the tuna, uh, okay. One of our, okay. <laughs> ah, I get tongue tied sometimes. Uh, one yeah. of our oldies, but favorites. Uh, I almost said Lieutenant Ahura, but she's not. She's Cadet Ahura. Uh, Celia Rose Gooding. I, I'll jump on this one first. I mean, I'm just, uh, like I said earlier, I'm just really excited about the fact that she is young and fresh and giddy and new which makes makes me relive the experience all over again. So I'm really excited about her character. Me too. And I think they're going to do a lot of things with her. Again, I expected her to be in love with Spock because of the Kelvin timeline. So we're going to erase that. And let's see what she comes up with. She's a really delightful character. I love her smile. Okay. And I'll just run through the three of these all together. Um, Melissa Navia's uh, Eric Ortega's Babs. I cannot pronounce his name. Dr. Mbega. Alusen uh, <laughs> <laughs> Makun. I think I got that right. Uh, is Dr. Mbega. And Jess Bliss's Christine Chapel. So the medical staff always takes a second seat to everybody on the bridge. But I think representing Chapel as someone who is outgoing, fun, and exciting, and Mbega, who is somebody who allows that, you're going to get some comic relief there, actually, just like you did with Bones. I think they're, again, going back to the original, uh, I, I think you're going to enjoy them very much. 
All right, Steve. Well, next week, the next episode is Children of the Comet. So I, I looked at uh, the tease, the super tease for the upcoming season. It seems like there's a rogue comic that threatens a planet. So, you know, pretty basic, simple story, but I'm sure they're going to have a twist for us. What are your thoughts? I think the twist will be some kind of time jump because the, in the tease, they showed the planet getting hit. So that was either a simulation or it happened and they have to figure out a way to to do a time jump back 10 minutes and save it. So I think it's going to be compelling no matter what. All right, Steve. Well, thanks for beaming in to Energize, and uh, we'll talk mm. again. Live long and prosper, my friend. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to hear more, engage now and hit the subscribe button. Leave us your feedback, and we'll see you next time.